God, that was terrific. That's I feel like it fits right in with <clears throat> where I'm going about trusting the Lord with all your heart, not relying on your own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging him and trusting that he'll direct our path. Um, Turn with me to John 6, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I want to speak to you this morning about overcoming the spirit of offense. And um, I want to talk to you about this more on a, on a corporate societal level. I mean, we need to overcome this spirit of offense in our personal relationships, um, you know, sort of wherever you, in every aspect of life. Um, <clears throat> but we also need to understand that God is at work performing his good pleasure, right? He's, he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. We know he's got a plan and a purpose, not only over our lives, but over our communities, our families, our nation, and, uh, and we need to continually to acknowledge him and trust him in the midst of, uh, you know, challenging times. So <clears throat> I want to I approach this a little bit differently than some of my other messages. I kind of want to walk through John 6 with you, and I just want to stop and address it. Because I feel like John 6, as I was going through this, there's so many aspects uh, of where Jesus, the way he operated... Uh, with his disciples and interacted with others that we need to just, uh, we need to pause sometimes and ponder and understand what God is doing and saying. <clears throat> so let's, let's jump right in. John chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So he was, he had performed many healing signs and wonders on those who were diseased. And so the multitudes were following him. Now, verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he saw the multitude coming no toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So I just, I find that very interesting, right? The disciples, what are disciples? Disciples are the followers of Jesus, and he's actually discipling them. In other words, he's teaching them, and he's imparting his life onto them. They're observing him. They're, they're learning how to be ministers of this good news that he's come to bring. So, <clears throat> so he actually tests Philip. How many have gone to school? Have you had to take a test? <laughs> so I don't know. Sometimes you read right past this, but he's like, Philip, what have you been learning as you're observing how I operate? You know, what are you seeing? What do you understand about, about operating under the principles of the kingdom of heaven? So he asked Philip this because he's testing him. He's discipling him. He's, he's bringing him along because... Greater things the disciples are going to do than Jesus did, right? Greater things you shall do in my name because I go to be, the, be with the Father. And so he's discipling Philip and he's passing on what's in him. 
The devil thought he was going to have a great victory when he took Jesus out. Instead, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus was multiplied in each of us. I mean, it's a principle of the kingdom. He's always multiplying. God doesn't work in addition and subtraction. He works in multiplication. Come on. All right. So where shall we buy bread for these? He said <clears throat> to Philip to test him for he himself. He already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered. So it was a rhetorical question, not necessarily a question that he didn't know the answer to. Kind of when he said to Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. What, what's going on? What have you done? Uh, Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. So 200 denarii is like thousands of dollars. And, uh, and, he, and he points out, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the passion <coughs> paraphrase of the Bible says, um, you know, it's, it, many thousands of dollars wouldn't be enough to feed everyone. And uh, so Philip, so where is Philip operating out of? It kind of tells you immediately. Philip is operating out of his natural thinking. And, or another way of saying that is his carnal mind. The carnal mind is the five senses. We were talking about body, soul, and spirit in the last few Sundays that I spoke. And, uh, and it says, the carnal mind can receive nothing from the Spirit of God because it just doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. To be spiritually minded is life. To be carnally minded is death. And P Philip is still kind of operating in the five-sense realm. Like, how are we going to feed these people? Well, let me look to my limited resources, not to the unlimited resources of heaven. Okay, let's continue. So Philip said 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. <clears throat> and then one of his disciples, Andrew, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a young lad or a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what's that among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there, and there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down and the number about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had begun to give thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and the disciples <coughs> to those sitting down. So he distributed them to his disciples, and his disciples gave them out. And likewise, fish as much as they wanted. I find it interesting, if you look over at Mark 6, chapter 6, also chapter 6, verse 41, has a little different, slightly different, and I'll point out how it's different. It says, in Mark 6, verse 41, it says, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed it, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he had divided among them all. So Jesus didn't look at what he had and, saw and see lack. Jesus looked at what he saw and he he spoke words. What did we talk about last week? Our words have creative power. Our, our, you know, by, the, by God's word, he created the heavens and the earth. And, and you know, in Mark uh, 24 is where he, he says, you know, whatever you pray, whatever you ask when you pray, believe you received it and you'll have whatever you say. 
So Jesus is operating on a different principle. He's operating on the principles of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's not operating, he's not limited by the five sense realm or the carnal realm, meaning I believe what I see, what I smell, what I can touch, what I can taste. He's not just living in what we see and touch. He's, he's understanding there's a spirit realm, there's a greater dimension where God dwells, and that I have access to that because I have access to the Father. So he, instead of looking at what he has and cursing it and said, oh, I don't have enough, he looks what he has and he blesses it. Each of us need to take this lesson in your finances. You should look at your finances and not say, oh, there's more bills than finances here and, and say, woe is me. We need to, we need to look, at our, our, look at what we have and bless it and believe that it's going to multiply because that's how God works. He multiplies what we have. Why, when Vanessa talked about the first fruits offering, why was it such an act of faith? This is your first of what you get. And the Lord says, now take that and offer it. It's like, wait a minute. If I offer this, I got nothing, you know, I got to believe for like another crop to come in, this, the second fruit, so to speak. And, and so they gave the first part. A lot of us, we get our, you know, we get our checks in and you kind of pay your bills and then you figure out what's left I can give to God. That's not first fruits. First fruits is give to God what belongs to God and believe him for the rest. But that requires something different. That requires that you believe that he's God and he's, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe. You know, I think more than faith is like belief. Like God's, I feel like the message that God is speaking, will you believe? You know, yeah, we say there's a God. And in James it says, you know, even, you know, many say there's a God. The devil believes there's a God and he trembles. But we, will we believe God when he gives us promises and words? Will we step into the fullness of it? Will we believe? You know, he says, believe, when you pray, ask in faith, believing that what you're asking for you'll receive and you'll have whatever you say. So our heart, with the heart we believe, with the mouth we speak forth our belief. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, John 6 at verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that there's nothing lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled. Now they filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over. Do you think you need, if you have five barley loaves that are like maybe six inches long, maybe less, you don't need 12 baskets, right? But here they needed 12 baskets to fill a fragment. So it's, something is not registering in the natural realm. Jesus is operating in a whole other dimension of faith. And I, I, I point this out because I think it's important for us to start to recognize that he wants us to believe that we that we can start to move in greater dimensions of faith and purpose. You know, listen, I, I just don't want to be limited by what my carnal mind can see, perceive, and understand. 
That's why in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now, I'm not saying go crazy, but listen to what the Lord's saying. The testimony that we just heard was them trying to be sensitive to what God was saying about the people they were sharing the person of Jesus with. They didn't come with a script, he said, but they were just trying to, you know, is, what is the script? The script is tell them Jesus is going to heal them, and then I have to lay hands on them. And, like, if you have to have a road map, then you're not necessarily leaning into what Jesus is saying. You're relying on your pre-scripted idea. We need to be people of the Holy Spirit. And that will happen when we start to acknowledge him in all that we do and trust him. And listen, when you first start walking according to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, it feels a little uncomfortable. You see little children starting to walk. It's a little uncomfortable, a little unsteady. But the more they practice, they get better. Listen, the same with us. Let's keep going. Therefore, they gathered them up, so they filled 12 baskets full of fragments of the five barley loaves and which were left over <clears throat> by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So, Everybody got excited. They saw this miracle. They were like, this is the one. And they're like, they want to make him king. But it wasn't Jesus' time. And Jesus was not out to do things about him. It was not about himself. He was there to do what? The will of the Father. He knew his purpose, and he stayed on course. He stayed in his lane. Uh, he wasn't trying to, well, there will be a day when every knee will bow and declare he's king of kings and lord of lords. But it wasn't this day. He was waiting. He was completely submitted to the Father. So therefore, he withdrew himself <clears throat> again to the mountains where he was left alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples, they were looking for him. They didn't find him. They went down to the sea. So they got into a boat, and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. And then the sea arose, in other words, a storm arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. And I just want to pause because maybe if you're like me, maybe you're not like me. I, sometimes we read these things and we just kind of, yeah, Jesus walked on water, cool. And, you know, we just kind of go by. Like, he walked on water. Like, what's up with that? Like, how, I can't, I've tried. It's never worked for me. But I think I don't believe I can. No, honestly. I, you know, and... Um, but Jesus operates in a whole different dimension of, you know, like he's operating under laws. Like people used to think, you know, it was impossible to fly. Men can't fly. Then you had the Wright brothers and other people who, like, studied the law of, you know, 
the wind dynamics or therm whatever that's called, <coughs> aerodynamics. And they discovered how they can operate under those laws and sort of overcome one law, the law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. And they could soar or fly. I believe Jesus is operating in a realm that we haven't tapped into. He's able to walk on water because he's operating under, you know, a higher laws. And, you know, as he is in the world, so are we. I'm just saying, before people, before they invented the airplane, the Wright brothers, all of that, most people thought you can't fly. Like, what are you, nuts? But there's things that you, we've come, you come to learn and understand. And I think maybe we are full understanding of who we are, like, they say in science that we only use about 10% of our brain. If we were able to use 90% of the whole, you know, the other 90%, what could we do? I don't know. But Jesus was operating on a whole other level. Okay, let's keep going. And then what was this? They were like halfway across the, the lake. They're the Sea of Tiberias. <clears throat> They're struggling. The wind's against them. Jesus gets in the boat and boom, all of a sudden they're on the other side. Uh, the Passion <coughs> uh, paraphrase of the Bible says in verse, same, John 6, 21, it says, they were relieved to take Jesus in, and the moment that Jesus stepped into the boat, they were instantly transported to the other side. I, I, I'm saying this because I really believe God wants us to start seeking him on deep levels and understand that, that really there's nothing impossible for God. He operates in a whole other levels, and he wants to get us out of that carnal thinking, a carnal mindset. If I can see it, if I can touch it, if I can taste it, that's, that's where I believe. Almost like Thomas, like I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands in his side or in his, you know, in each of his, the holes in his, his hands and his feet, then I'll believe. Jesus, he doesn't want us out. He wants us to take his word and believe it. You know, uh... Was it tribal music? God said it, I believe it. <laughs> Come on. That's where we're going. God said it, I believe it. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea, now, now get this, people are watching. Like, they're not unaware of what happened the day before and that Jesus went up on a mountain and there was only one boat. So this, on the following day, the people are standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the ones in which his disciples had entered. So they watched his disciples get in the boat and head over to the other side without Jesus. And Jesus hadn't entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. It's very interesting that the gospel writer puts that in. After they ate the bread after he gave thanks. So important that we have a thankful heart. Blessed it. He gave thanks, continually giving thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got in boats, and they went over to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, we're a little confused. When did you come here? 
Jesus answered them. He doesn't really, you know, Jesus, when people ask Jesus a question, he rarely just gives them a straight-on answer. He says, look, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then in verse 27 he says, do not labor for food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Jesus now, he contrasts food that perishes with food which will endure to everlasting life. And he says, God will give it to you. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? I just wanted to pause on verse 27. You know, understand, if you're just carnally minded, if you're just thinking in a five sense realm, you're going to miss what Jesus is saying. He's, and he's telling him, don't just work for food which perishes, which is this carnal realm in your five senses. But labor for the food which endures to, it, to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Okay? And then they asked him, what shall we do to work the works of God? Jesus answered to them, and this is, this is amazing to me. Jesus answered, what shall we do to work that we may work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. Believe. I, God is working me over in this place of belief. Yeah, I have faith. Faith is the substance of what we're hoping for, the evidence we don't see. But what do you believe? <laughs> like, do you really believe? All things are possible to those who believe. We act on what we believe. Salvation comes... Because you do what? You believe where? In your heart, your inner being. And then you speak or say something. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So with the heart, man believes. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What is the works of God? That you believe in him whom he sent. I thought it, it was supposed to feed the poor, was supposed to do all these other good things, do all. It doesn't start there. Yeah, we do those things. I'm not, I don't want to put that down. But you have to start with believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is who he said he was. He can do what he said he can do, he's, he's, and he, that he lives in you. It's Christ in you. Therefore, he, they said to him, this is amazing, so what sign will you perform that we may see and believe you? He just fed the 5,000. They came to him because the bread that perishes, right? Like, you're not seeking me because, you know, you're seeking me because you want to, don't labor for that. And so, okay, so now what sign are you going to do? And then they say, our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written from Psalm 78, said he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, if you're carnally minded, you're, you're, you're looking like the dog looks at you and they're like, you say something to them, they're like putting their head like. <laughs> you have to hear with the spirit what the Lord is saying. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, oh, all right, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes, underline the, underline the word believes, in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. There it is, that word believe again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'm, I will by no means cast out. For I have, <clears throat> I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So now the Jews complained about him because he said, Listen to this. This is why they're complaining. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They're not perceiving that he's using an analogy, that he's speaking in a spirit, he's speaking of spiritual things. I am the bread that came down from heaven. He said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father we know? How is it that he says, I came down from heaven? He didn't come down from heaven. He was born of Mary. You know, they're looking in the natural realm. They're, they're completely stuck in carnal thinking. Jesus, therefore, answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He, who has seen the has, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They died and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, his he is the word of God. Jesus said when tempted, and, you know, he's fasting 40 days in the desert. 
And uh, the devil came along and said, because he was hungry, and said, well, if you turn these rocks into bread, and what was Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We're to eat the word. The word is, that's, that's the flesh of Jesus. He's the word made flesh. I want you to see that. We have to, we have to have... We have to have eyes and ears and an understand according to our spirit. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, the Jews quarreled among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is, is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught them in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? We don't understand. And here's the trap. When we, we, we all, we're all, it's human nature, at least the fallen nature, whatever we don't understand, we're against. Who can understand this? And, and they're trying to understand spiritual things with carnal thinking. And many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? I want to pause there for a moment. Because the, it's important that we line up ourselves with what God's word says. And we're not offended by it. I think we're coming into a time and a day and an age when many things are going to be contrary to the word of God. And many are going to be offended that you actually believe this stuff. That you actually, you know, you believe that? Like, and they're going to be offended with you. And it says, <coughs> because, the, you know, because sin will be rampant, uh, the love of many will grow cold, and, and many will fall away and be offended. So we want to, I want to, uh, that's where I want to pause for a moment. Does this offend you? He said, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And here's the key. It is the Spirit who gives life. Like, you guys are so caught up in what you see, hear, and touch. The carnal mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. We have to understand the things of God, that it transcends the natural, it transcends the carnal, it transcends, you know, what you see, feel, hear, and touch. He operates at a different level, and he's speaking to them at a different level. 
and they're offended because they're stuck in their natural minds. And he says, what if you see God, what if you see me ascending and descending into heaven, which is transcending realms? It is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing. The flesh is another term for carnal thinking. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who don't believe it. Here's that word believe again. Are we going to believe what God said or are we challenged because it doesn't always feel that way in our carnal realm? In a, you know, if, uh, if I prayed for the sick, I actually did it two or three times, four times. I'm getting frustrated. It didn't happen. I'm giving up because I don't believe. Like you're believing what you're seeing instead of saying, God, I want to pull heaven into earth. I'm not going to quit until I see it happen. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to bear the reproach. Of it didn't work sometimes or whatever. Because I, I know there's a higher realm that God is calling me to operate by. But there are some of you who do not believe. But Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said <clears throat> that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's a scary thing. From that time on, many of, it's not the religious folks, it's his disciples. Disciples means his students. Those who came and were learning from him. Many of his disciples went back went back and they walked with him no more. They were offended. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. This is, I don't really get this. All right, I'm out. <laughs> Peace out, I'm gone. And uh, I, I just want to make sure that as we walk with God into this next season, that we don't check out because we're offended at something when we don't understand. I don't understand it. We tend to be against what we don't understand, you know. And if you run into a situation where something happens, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Do you stay the course, but God, I trust you. God, I know you're good all the time. I don't understand what just happened. I don't understand the pandemic. I don't understand race riots. I don't understand politics. I don't understand a lot of stuff. Um, but I trust you. God, I know you're on the throne. I know you have a plan. I know you're good. I trust you, and I'm going to stay the course. Because this is where many disciples fell away. And then Jesus turned to the 12, and he said to them, do you also want to go away? The 12, the closest ones to him. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This has to be our posture. This has to be our posture. Listen, I don't know what the next season holds. 
I know God is good all the time. I know he's working all things together for the good. But we have to be unoffendable. We have to be so sold out and have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that we're moving forward. And we're going to give him all of our faith, hope, and trust. All of our belief. We're going to acknowledge him in everything that we do. And trust that he's going to direct our path. But he wants us to believe. It's going to be so important that we believe. That we hold fast. You know, we talk about the John 17 unity. Right? Meaning what? Jesus said to them, you know, he and his father. Let's just turn to it. Well, I'll quote it wrong. John 17. Uh, beginning of verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. All right, where to come into this unity with the Godhead? We're the bride of Christ. He gave us the earthly uh, marriage as, as, as a, a natural depiction of, of, of that we're supposed to be one with God, that we come into a union and a communion with God. Now, for us to come into a communion with God, it's going to require a submission. Right? You know, the Bible talks about Wives, submit to your husbands. But Jesus is our heavenly husband. And we're supposed to come into complete submission to what he says. The only way you have this union is that we're someone has to be leading the ship here. And we're going to say, God, you lead. I'll follow. You're the good shepherd. You go first. I, it's not I'm going to go and Jesus come and bless me. It's we go where he leads. And we're going to have... Unity, when we first have unity with God, in other words, we believe what he says. God said it, I believe it. <laughs> Come on. That's the unity we want. We want to be union with God, unity with what he's saying, and then we're going to have unity with one another because we're walking in submission to what the, if we're all walking in submission to God, we're going to walk in perfect harmony. We're going to run into friction amongst each other because we're, you know, because where we have our own stuff comes out, it rubs against each other and it, you know, it gets a little frictious, if that's a word. <laughs> Turn with me to Mark 24. I'm going to finish with this. Well, there is no Mark 24, so I can't be finishing with that. <laughs> Matthew 24, thank you. It's close. It was the same first letter. Okay. 
beginning of verse 1. Jesus went out with his disciples from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you that not one shall be left upon another. They shall all be thrown down. Then later on, when they went up to the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And they said, tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And listen, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. Don't be troubled. These things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there's going to be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. These are just the beginnings of sorrows. It's not the end. <clears throat> but listen to this. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Why would all nations hate Christ followers? I mean, we're just, we, we're walking in love. We're walking in submission to God. We're blessing and not cursing. I mean, true Christ followers. We're loving people. We're blessing people. We're out there feeding the poor. We're giving, you know, if, if someone forces us to go a mile, we're going too. You know, if they want to take our, 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 our coat, we also give them our shirt. You know, we're doing the true Christ followers. We're doing the whole thing. I know a lot of us are in process. <laughs> Me too. But this is where I want to be. This is who I want to be. You know, and if I'm a true Christ follower, why are they going to be raging against me? Why will, the na why will we be hated for my namesake? And then, you know what's going to happen? Verse 10. And then many will be offended. And they'll actually betray one another and hate one another. Ouch. Turn with me to Psalm 2 real quick. I am bringing this to a close, but. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against his anointed, let us break their bonds in pieces. Cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the, the, the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And I will give you the nations for an inheritance. There's a casting away. People don't want to be, I say people. There's an influence in the world, you know, we talk about the seven mountains. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the seven mountains we haven't taken, so to speak. So you get media, you get university, you get all these things, and philosophies come out of these places of influence. You know, I don't know how many genders that they're recognizing today. But when I read my Bible, I read that he says, I created them male and female, created he them. So I see two genders, male and female. But now they're speaking like it's truth, like there's, I don't know, 24. I mean, there's, there, 
70? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's craziness. But the more we keep speaking the truth, we're going to speak it in love. We're going to stick to it, you know. But what's going to happen is you're going to be challenged because even though you're kind, even though you're blessing, even though, you know, we're not walking in judgment, right? That, there's only one righteous judge. It's not us. But we're, we're giving them good news. Listen, God made a way. Here's another thing that's very offensive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, come on. There's got to be many ways to God. There's no, I, I hear you. I, that's, your, that's your view. If you're asking me, I'm telling you there's only one way. And it's through the Son. No one comes to the, to the Father unless he's drawn to the Father by the Son. Although the Father draws them to the Son. So he made a way, but that's offensive. And you're going to run into people who claim, and maybe they do, but the deceptive philosophies of the world try to tell them there's another way. Like, I love Jesus, but he made me a certain way. And how can you say, like, God wants me happy? Like, okay, God, he's, he's going to provide for your joy and your peace and all of that. But you got to do it his way. You can't say, no, he's, he's made me a different way. And that's going to be offensive. I mean, we love people. We want to pray with them. We want to see them get inner healing. We want to walk with them. We're not turning anyone away. But we can't deny the truth. And it's, it's mercy and truth or grace and truth have met together in Jesus Christ. And when you stand for truth, it's going to be offensive. Now, we're going to put on love. We're going to walk with it. But we got to recognize that we have to be people of truth. Like, God is not compromising on who he is. He's not going to say the devil's deceptions and distortions are okay. You know, he's made a way for us, but we don't get to choose our own way. We have to accept his way. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. I didn't say it, he did. I'm just agreeing with him, saying, okay, God, I surrendered. I was trying to go my own way and it wasn't working. Thank him. I thank him every day for his grace. Listen, we're coming into a time when many will be offended. We're going to be hit, you know, these antichrist philosophies are growing stronger in the culture. And, you know, we're going to be coming, you know, we're going to be butting heads with that. Now, here, we have to be people of grace. We're not judging them. We're just saying, God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God, take the, take the blinders off their eyes. And this is where we really need to hear the Holy Spirit. We need to know. So, you know, it's the miracle signs and wonders that when we're trying to debate them on the philosophies of this world, we're speaking truth, which cuts, the word of God cuts in, you know, to the piercing asunder of soul and spirit. I mean, it bears witness but we also want to move in the power of God to see people healed, to see people set free. And when, like Curtis's testimony, you know, God starts speaking something and you see heals like that, they're going to be hit with the power of God. And many are going to come to the truth. Let's not be offended. Listen, here's the thing. There are many philosophies in this world we need to be people of truth, people of the book, and, and that's going to be challenged. And listen, 
Why do they hate us? Because they, they want it. Psalm 2, let's break their cords off of us. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. This is too restrictive, one way to God. There's many ways to God. There's many gods. Like, this is what they say. And they don't want to come, they don't want to go God's way. And we have to love them. We're not called to judge them. We're not called to, to, to command judgments or whatever. We're called to bless and not curse. We're, we're called to stand in a gap and say, God, have mercy. God, open their eyes that they see. Give them grace to, to, to know you. Holy Spirit, draw them. And that's who we're called to be. So we have to know our lane. That's our lane. Stay in your lane. Do what God called you to do. Stand in the gap. Be like, you know, Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah. God, if there were ten, you know, what if there were five? God, would you spare it? That's, that's our lane. And, that, and we're being like our Father in heaven. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Don't be offended. His disciples, many of his disciples, we read in John 6, were offended because they operated in a natural, carnal way of thinking and got confused. And if you bring yourself down to what the world's philosophies and debates are, you open yourself up to a spirit of confusion. And you may end up offended because what you think is compassion is not really compassion. God made me this way. You know, I'm, you know, and he loves them. And you have to love them too. But God wants you, he wants to set you free. You know, the truth will make you free. Agreeing with the deception will not set anyone free. Let's have compassion, but let's be keep it in truth so that we can operate in a way that truly brings freedom. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Gonna, we're going to take communion because his flesh is bread and deep and his blood is we're to drink his blood because we understand the word was made flesh and we understand his blood was shed for the remission our sin so we're not confused but we are but we're understanding amen out in the internet and zoom if you can gather some, your elements bread and wine or grape juice whatever you have or make do with whatever you whatever's there thank you lord just take a moment just just close your eyes wherever you are at home here in the room close your eyes let's just focus on on the Lord he's good he's got good things he's chosen you 
been purchased with the price. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. You don't belong to yourself. Just close your eyes. Just begin to thank him as we get ready to receive and take communion together. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the earth realm. God, I thank you that you preordained that we would live in this time and within this geographic boundaries that you've set us in, that we are in where you set us in New York or wherever we're watching from. And God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose over each life here. You have a plan and a purpose over the community at Life Center Church. You have a plan and a purpose over New York City and over the nation and the nations of the earth. We just take this time to reflect and to acknowledge who you are. We're not going to rely on our natural ability to think and understand everything, God. We trust you. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for each of you. As often as you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. manner he took the cup and he said this is the cup of my blood which is shed for the remission of sins as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again let's take the elements together God, I thank you for the life that is in your body and in your blood. We receive it right now. We receive healing. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. We receive your divine will and purposes for our life. In Jesus' name. 